Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Robbie Martin. And this is Abby Martin. How's everybody doing out there? Still in the middle of a global pandemic. I guess not really much has changed except there's talk of starting to loosen things up again, loosen restrictions up again. The malaise, the just the mental fatigue of the situation is really starting to set in for me. I don't want this to be the new normal. And I guess I was getting to a point where I was like, this is going to be the new normal. And now I'm like, fuck this. I don't, this can't be the new normal. I'm just like, kind of like all over the place on my own mind over this. And maybe we'll get a chance to talk about that a little later in the episode. Abby, I don't know if you want to comment on that now, but I'm just kind of like thrown for a loop over the situation psychologically. Like after 9-11, it was very clear what stand I was to take. Like I had a very clear this is my position. I'm super clear on what I think. This is morally wrong. Right now, I'm I'm much more thrown for a loop by this. And uh, I don't know if you feel anything similar to what I just described, mm-hmm. Abby, but um, it's a confusing situation, to put mm-hmm. it mildly. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, yeah, it is. It is definitely getting to me, too. I'm feeling pretty stir-crazy. LA just extended their safe at home or stay at home measures rather. Um, I think three more months I am going through. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so weird because they just opened parks and trails again. So I don't understand how, you know, a piecemeal to open things up, but then at the same time say you can't really leave. I mean, I think that I'm in a different headspace because I'm also going through like a medical situation that kind of is going to confine me to stay at home for the majority of the summer. So it's easier for me to take um, because I was already going to be confined to my house for the large part. But it it is really strange and it is confusing and I am feeling it. I'm I'm really missing just going out to restaurants, doing things outside, seeing people. I felt like more isolated, almost like just not wanting to talk to people. You know, like at the beginning of this, I was like, oh, it's going to be a great opportunity to just like catch up with all these people on the phone and FaceTime people. And it's like the opposite. I just don't, I've become much more introverted than I thought that I would be and like not wanting to talk to anyone, which is really unhealthy. Do you think that's like maybe just like a mini... Depre- like you're experiencing like a low level depression, like yeah. almost like you're withdrawing from because yeah. sh- of the situation. Yeah. yeah, I know. I I think I feel the same thing. At first, I was really sort of craving contact. Yeah, and now I'm just like, I'm fine being by myself. <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird. It's definitely like a not. It's not mentally healthy. I mean, no, um, no. Well, but at the and, same time, there's so many mm-hmm. mixed. There's so many political framings and like you know pull it's so polarized already so we got to talk about that and Mm -hmm. like and and sort of unpack that because you know if you're out there just wanted to say if you're out there you're confused you don't know where you stand on this um you're not alone i mean Mm -hmm. i think i'm i that's where i'm i'm at right now Mm -hmm. i'm in a confused place and i think a lot of other people are feeling that so but there's some good things happening right now there's some cool things happening um, in the middle of all this, still, my favorite electronic music group, Autecker, uh, has been streaming nonstop on Twitch uh, under the channel twitch.com slash Or is that how it's spelled? Let me make sure I got that right. Fortecker. 
So Odd Tucker is a group. It's not just one guy. Yeah, it's not just one guy. It's two people. Mm. Um, Sean Booth and uh, Rob Brown. And they've been two people the whole time. And I guess one of the cool things about the group is that they sort of tease their audience by saying things like, this album is a mixture of like Sean and Rob's like solo tracks. But like it ends up sounding very, very similar. Like so if, if they're actually specifically saying like we individually made these tracks like independently of each other and we combine them together for an album it's very fascinating because they end up sounding so much of this specific style um that you can't even tell them apart you know like people have tried to guess like oh this is sean's track or sean Mm -hmm. did this beat nobody has any idea that's what's so fascinating about it cool um but back to what i was saying they're streaming on twitch and uh they're streaming very interesting things on twitch um, and, and it ended, it culminated with somebody want either, I don't know who it is from Autechre, but right now they're streaming what appears to be a multiple day long song, the, a single song that keeps evolving slowly and subtly over like, you'll listen to it for like an hour and it'll sound the same. But then if you tune in like an hour later, it'll start changing and, and evolving. And it's been going for like four days straight. It's crazy. It's just a really interesting concept to think that an electronic music band, you know, it's all mostly computer and synthesizer based. You could, in theory, have like an infinitely long song that just keeps going mm-hmm. and evolving, you know, with with some kind of like clever coding or event, um, you know, manipulation so that at a certain point, the computer will just decide to switch the parameters of the song, but it'll sound still like an actual song. It's it's absolutely fascinating. Um, there's really no other people working at this level in electronic music. And I, I think it's just funny that they're just casually, you know, with no advertising, just broadcasting like a four day long song on Twitch right now. So check that out. If you like electronic music, it's really cool. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Other really cool things have been going on, like Elon Musk going on Joe Rogan. <laughs> just kidding. That was Probably the longest podcast I've ever seen with like the least interesting thing said in it by the guest. Joe Rogan was trying desperately. It was like he was trying to draw blood from a stone for the entire interview. And yeah, Elon Musk like just had a kid. So he's probably like stressed out or whatever. But he just had nothing interesting to say. Even when he was talking about how he thinks it's unconstitutional that the Alameda County is like, you know, forcing Tesla to close. Like it didn't even sound like he believed what he was saying. He, it's like, he doesn't, there's something odd about his personality. That's very strange to me. And I don't understand why so many people think he's some kind of visionary. I don't get it. Um, but yeah, it was a very odd podcast. He's now thanking Donald Trump because Donald Trump is promoting his protest. He said that he would put him, throw himself on the front lines, you know, to get arrested. If any sheriffs from Alameda County came in and arrested him because he was starting up Tesla again against the Alameda County orders. Huh? So it's, it's a strange back and forth where it's like Elon Musk, like fighting with Alameda County, even though the governor is actually on his side, the governor said that Elon Musk should be allowed to do this. And then, like, Trump is on Elon Musk's side. It's just weird how, like, there's all this infighting between the local governments. And I do think, you know, going back to this idea that Trump is really smart, I do think Trump has sort of created this scenario where, like, no matter what happens, it won't be his fault. Mm -hmm. Because he's left it up to the states. He's left it up to the local municipalities. So if there are fuck-ups in those states, it's like 
it's ultimately their fault. He can point to them. The whole thing is just very strange. It's going to take a lot of unpacking, but uh, yeah, um, they legally named their child uh, with Grimes, like a like a ASCII characters and stuff like that. <laughs> um, just like attention horror behavior. I don't get it. I don't get the fascination with him. Um, and I don't understand either why this conversation is just only about keep things shut down or let people go back to work again. I mean, what about the in, what about the the third thing of like making sure people have enough basic universe, like income supplemental right now, where if they're not able to go back to work, they can survive. Like that's what happened to that conversation. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, what? So yeah. Um, Elon Musk has a really bizarre autistic seeming affect. Um, Grimes gave this really embarrassing interview in Rolling Stone where she was just like, Elon is basically like Bernie Sanders, you know, and, and I. Yeah, he's he, a socialist. Yeah, he's a socialist. He's trying to save the world. That's why I love him. Just sad. Um, I mean, the th funny thing to me about Elon Musk is he didn't even found Tesla. Like people like have this image in their mind that he's the founder of Tesla. Like he's the genius behind the electric car. He bought the company from someone else. Right. That's not his company. Like, so that alone is just really interesting that he's managed to like rewrite history to make it seem like he's like the founder of Tesla. And he like came up with this, all this idea. And just another, another billionaire who like was granted money i mean you know it's not like he made his money he was born super fucking rich south african just like the trump family so it's dumb i don't get it either um i don't see how like flamethrowers really add anything to society um but yeah what well, is interesting to see that there is sort of this weird dichotomy now where it's like elon musk is this rebel he's mm -hmm. a badass oligarch he's a rebel that's not you know he's not a bad oligarch because he's fighting the establishment but like Bill Gates and, um, you know, Mark Cuban and these other oligarchs, they're the deep state, like, you know, globalist oligarchs. But Elon Musk, like a nationalist, like patriot oligarch. It's like, Why? Because he's just saying like, reopen we... the economy? Is that I, I what guess. is so badass about I mean, what he's doing? I guess so. Huh. And it's it, it's fascinating to me where it's basically like if you if you align with Trump, you're good. And if you don't, you're bad. And it, it's like, they'll invent other reasons, you know, like, I mean, obviously Bill Gates probably is a horrible person and a piece of shit, but it's like the reasons why um, the right is going after him, like, in, as opposed to like loving Elon Musk is very fascinating because ultimately it just always seems to fall into this framework of anyone who's against Trump or doesn't align with him is bad or evil or deep state. And anyone who does is a patriot and a nationalist and not evil. They're good. It's just a car. It's just like a cartoon. The same cartoon keeps playing over and over and over again. It is very fascinating how the conversation and dialogue has been manipulated, where everything can fall back to being something good um, about what Trump is doing, despite the fact that the USA is a corporate sacrifice zone, despite the fact that um, 80,000 people are now dead here from COVID, mm -hmm. uh, almost three times the amount of Italy. But Abby, it's just as bad as the flu. Yeah, just as bad as the flu. Just as bad as it, which yeah. is which is funny also because it's like okay yeah a lot of people do die from the flu that is true, but this is a new virus that is deadlier than the flu, which is proven to be factual. That is absolutely the case. So it's like now we have two flus. One of them is deadlier than the actual flu. So it's like even if that is true that it's just it's it's a flu like virus. It's still something else that now we have to worry about. 
it's just the the arguments are just so reductive, and we're going to talk about that when we cover how pandemic, how you know that movie pandemic went viral. We're going to talk about some of these reductive arguments, but then also talk about how there are arguments against like forcing people not to go outside. Like, how long can they do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, that does become a civil liberties issue at a certain point. So, like, these things do need to be discussed, but you were seeing just these arguments immediately being controlled and thrown into this like right framing where it's like, what? Like, how is this happening so fast? Like we need to have like an intelligent conversation about this, but we, you know, it just, it, it, we can't, that's the problem. It's inescapable how much these things become polarized. Um, uh, yeah. I just wanted to mention really quickly, we forgot to the top of the episode that we are, we have decided to start doing, uh, one bonus patron-only episode per month for Media Roots Radio subscribers. And the content that will come out on that bonus episode, it's not going to be pressing news. It's not going to be like breaking news. It's going to be more of like the entertainment, pop culture kind of stuff. It's going to be a little bit lighter. So, you know, that's that's what we're going to do moving forward. Um, and we hope that you are okay with that and enjoy that. Um, and we have a little poll going right now on our Patreon page asking how you feel about that as a Patreon subscriber, of course. So um, check that poll out, vote on it. And uh, yeah, we just wanted to let you know that. And uh, just in case you missed it, we do have a, or we did a bonus episode last month that you can access if you are a Patreon subscriber. Yeah. And let us know what you want us to cover in those episodes if you are a Patreon subscriber. And you can subscribe at patreon.com slash Radio. We really appreciate it. And it's going to be fun to do that. Um, I had a lot of fun talking to you in the last bonus episode, and I'm looking forward to the next one. It is just really strange. I mean, all the condemnation over China and Iran and all the corporate media hand-wringing over these other countries on behalf of our establishment politicians and media about like how inept, how incompetent, how evil their governments are. I mean, the case has never even exploded there. You know, it, it just seems like it just happened here. <laughs> what I find the most fascinating, other than the dichotomous binary worldview that everyone's stuck in, where it's either reopen the economy or stay at home forever. Uh, yeah, and there's like no socialist outlet or like no, you know, coalescing of some sort of like labor argument. The Democrats have completely failed on this, which I want to talk about. So it almost just leaves a vacuum for the right wing to generate that populist anger. And just carry people That's over really their side point. where it's like, even if these protests are astroturfed, the Democrats have failed so abysmally that people will just gravitate toward that frame of view, that worldview, because yes. there's nothing else there. That's you know, absolutely... They're not seeing um, progressive media. They're not They're not like seeing any of that shit. They just see like hype, hyped up shit from the corporate media showing these reopen the economy protests and the Trump administration doing these daily briefings. It sounds like what you were just sort of commenting on is how aspects of the left-wing media and maybe even some of these socialist groups are not doing a good job of trying to create a debate or a strong position right now about this. Is that no. is that accurate? or No, no, no. I'm talking about just the general mainstream media is not – of oh. course, they're not going to cover what grassroots organizers on the ground are doing to okay. rally people behind actual things like – for example, well, what, tell me Ralph's, tell me about what some of those are. Yeah, so, sure. There's a Ralph's in L.A. on Sunset Boulevard that has 19 workers at the Ralph's who tested positive for COVID, and they've been striking 
um, and protesting like weekly to try to get themselves proper safety gear or like shut down the store and get them healthcare and shit. And like, no one's talking about that. You know, the fact that the store is still open, the fact that they haven't done anything about this is absolutely insane to me. All of these nationwide car protests to cancel the rent, put a moratorium on mortgages. That is the first and foremost thing that I think needs to be the demand behind. I mean, you have the only person I see talking about it is like Elon Omar. This should be something that every single progressive group and socialist group in the country are creating a campaign about. And I think that they mostly are, but like no one's reporting on it. There's no interest. It almost seems like the right wing has just siphoned all of the energy and made it about, okay, you fucking bloodsuckers. You want it, you want the government to just pay your rent. Well then just go out and work, go out and work. We all have to like earn our keep and, and pay our own way. It's like, well, we we're being told that we can't. Do you know what I'm saying? They really are trying to polarize it so that, yeah, so that these things get overshadowed. I mean, we were, you know, if you pay attention to like left Twitter, you can see that there are a shitload of strikes happening all around the country because of coronavirus and like, you know, places like Amazon not taking safety precautions and forcing their workers to work in unsafe conditions. But yet these AstroTurf sort of protests that are directly connected to the DeVos family, by the way, are basically just completely overshadowing that. And like, what is their, what are their actual demands? Like just open up the country or open up the state again? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially what their demands yep. are. They don't have any demands like, you know, um, make sure that we can get healthcare in case we get COVID or, um, a thousand two hundred dollar check for one month is not enough to get us through this. It should so that's I think that's a clear indication that this is not true a true populist protest of any kind. You know, you can't really say that everyone with a broad brush at all these protests is like being oh, astroturfed. No. You know, I mean obviously they are astroturfed from the top, but there's still working class people who are comprised of some of these I mean, these, these there's huge amounts of people out, you know, at some of these mm-hmm. states protesting. And I think that largely a lot of them just honestly believe in that right wing rhetoric that this is fake, that it's some sort of like globalist conspiracy. Trump has been doing a wink and a nod to that narrative, too. So it's like I understand why they're not saying we need health care and shit because they like don't believe it. Yeah. But it's just it's still like the anti-poor stuff driving it, where it's like working against your interest, your best interests by saying we also just like want to work and we don't want free shit from the government, even though they should be yeah. blaming the government, right? They they should be blaming the government and corporations primarily, but for some reason they don't. Well, that's what's that is how, and I think why they've tried to capture this energy, because as you said, there is there are legitimate grievances. Um, if you're only getting a $1,200 check for one month and you're, you can see the next three months and how are you going to survive through that, then yeah, there's absolutely legitimate grievances to be had. But yet you're seeing all this energy just getting captured and it's, they're not discussing um, these things you're mentioning. So yeah, it's really, really unfortunate. Um, and it's also really fascinating how the only person in the Trump administration right now who's taking any heat at all from Trump's own base is Anthony Fauci, that this is now all his fault, apparently. 
Yep. You know, so even though Trump doesn't have to listen to him or take his recommendations, I guess ultimately this is Anthony Fauci's fault. So whatever the U.S. government to fuck up um, is his fault. It's nobody else from the Trump administration's fault. And that's just obviously cartoonishly not true. And Anthony Fauci, again, I'm not defending him. I'm not saying he's a good person. He probably is a bad person. But when you get into these reductive areas, it's just like, this is obviously not true. I want people to be having truthful conversations challenging these establishment narratives. Like, let's have a debate, actually, about this idea that this is some kind of, if you want to talk about how this is some kind of quote-unquote globalist conspiracy, let's debate that, but not talk about it from this nationalistic MAGA framework. Like, do you notice how almost all these conspiracies that Trump's movement circulates that get really popular, they don't work in a global context. Mm -hmm. The only work, if you're an ethnocentric, nationalistic sort of point of view person who lives in the United States, right? they don't make sense when you apply them to like other countries or this, this little global context. The only one that I've heard, you know, that was maybe even coming more from the hard left sectors of Twitter where they were saying, you know, this is some kind of globalist conspiracy to destroy small business forever and make everything like more corporate globally. I mean, I don't necessarily <laughs> subscribe to that, but that that's to me is a more interesting theory than this is all Bill Gates trying to force us to take a vaccine so that Dr. Fauci can make money. I mean, that's right. basically what the right wing narrative is right now. It's just really reductive and it just misses over all these really serious things that we could be talking about. Right. And it also, exactly, it, it's through like a portal of just US American exceptionalism. Like, um, okay, so Bill Gates wants to profit. He's going to force everyone to do this shit. It's like, okay, so that's that's the globalist conspiracy that you're talking about. What about countries that are not capitalist? If you want to talk about like the profit motive of why other countries like Vietnam, China, Venezuela, Cuba, like why are they taking this so seriously? Why are they moving forward with safety precautions? They're not trying to implement like a global vaccine to make money off of. It's just like mm -hmm. the, the logic falls apart really quickly when you apply this globally, because this is a global pandemic. That's why I think we need to have more nuanced conversations about this and really unpack it, because you could make some argument that even those countries, I mean, like, let's say just Vietnam, for example, or a non-capitalist country that would want to impose these restrictions, I mean... It, it can give the government in any scenario more leeway to essentially tell people what to do on just a basic level. So that would, I mean, to me, be one of the only like sort of conspiratorial angles that like would be interesting to dive into is what are governments getting out of this? You know, how are they benefiting from putting these restrictions in place? Is it, is it going, is the power going to stay with them? Are they going to be able to have this power beyond COVID-19? and impose similar restrictions for other things. That's, I think that's a question worth asking in a general sense, but it's, indiv again, it's individual for every country. It's, mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like right. individual for the U.S., individual for even Mexico, Canada. How are they going to handle this moving forward? So, yeah, it would make more sense if, you know, if they were like this group of, you know, and I don't know, that's why I think they were trying to so pass the buck to the WHO, so much at first because it's like, oh, the WHO was just taking orders from China. They were telling everybody to worry. Their models are all wrong and they were all sort of in control of this. But you see that narrative shifting a little bit over now. Um, I think that they've sort of let that argument go. And and again, it's like, I'm not, 
I, I, I don't like trust everything that the WHO says. That's the that's why we need to get out of these black and white, I think, framings. Because if you express skepticism of the WHO, one should be able to do it sort of rationally and in a grounded way, rather than saying because a, a WHO official, you know, fucked up on a question about Taiwan, that the entire thing is a conspiracy by China. Like that type of shit is just super toxic, and we see that time and time again. I mean, similar narratives to that. How, you know, these reductive leaps. And I don't, you know, I don't know. Where are these conversations about civil liberties happening right now that aren't right wing? Like, I, I want, I, and, and so I don't know. I think that it's just, again, really unfortunate how much they're dwarfing anything that's, you know, else is important. Yeah, it's well, it's hard because we don't know what's going on. I we still don't have like the proper data set and science accumulated from like what's happened so far to actually know how deadly it is, what the fatality rate actually is. Obviously, the stay at home stuff uh, up until now has prevented the the death rate from being way higher in the U.S. But like, you know, what's going to happen in the summer? What's going to happen in the winter? Is it really as bad as we're told? It is. When will we know all of this shit? I don't know. People on the left like believe the science more, obviously. So they're just like taking it whole cloth. And they're like, well, we just believe what the science says. But the thing is, the science is constantly changing. I'm constantly reading mm-hmm. shit that just contradicts itself over and over again. And I just think that it's going to take a long time before we actually know. Um, yes. But yeah, I mean, you're right. It's all It's all just individual governments acting on their own accord. That's why I just want to focus on like our government. Like what is America doing um, and how are they exploiting it? And why is Trump getting let off the hook after so many people have died? Um, It is very sad that movie theaters are closing down. It's really sad that all these cool mom and pop stores are closing down. And obviously corporations are going to win in the end. You know, they've already gotten so much fucking government money. They're the ones getting bailed out. No one cares about that though, right? Like that's Trump's fault. That's the Republicans' fault. But like, no one fucking cares. No one cares. Um, you look at somewhere like Canada and Sweden. They're they're providing like thousands of dollars per month for all of their citizens. I just talked to someone in Sweden who's getting like a four thousand dollar check, who runs a co op of ten people every month, and they just like work from home anyway. They do web work. I was just like, wow, this is it's pretty ridiculous when you compare how fucked up this country is to like literally every other country, but. Where is that anger directed toward Anthony Fauci and the WHO? It's just like the dumbest shit in the world. No, it's it's strange. And it's like, I don't want to be in a position where I'm defending Dr. Anthony Fauci. I mean, clearly anybody who's been in government that long is probably like a monstrous person on some level. It's just very, very convenient how nothing gets to Trump, you know? I mean, he was literally calling this a hoax lying about the amount of testing, saying so many bizarre things about it. It's all China's fault. It's all his fault. Yeah, the whole thing is just its really, really frustrating for me. That's why I'm, I feel very confused because I, want to th- I, th- I do think there's a lot of civil liberties implications here, but I'm also concerned for public safety, like really concerned. I don't, I'm not convinced by and we'll get into this in a little bit like you know all the doctors these viral videos of doctors saying um that it's not that big of a deal that everything everything well, science is i mean let's get wrong. into the pandemic because it's pretty much 
segues with yeah. everything that we're talking about now. So why don't we talk about this viral video and what you think about it? Well, yeah. So first of all, I question any conspiracy video that goes viral enough in 24 hours to reach like 5 million views to have the number one trending hashtag on Twitter. Anything that that comes out like that, I even before I see it, I'm skeptical of it. I'm like, okay, this is obviously being artificially boosted by someone. Well, especially, so let me out. just jump in here, especially given the yeah. algorithms today. Like, you know, oh, yeah. back in the day, like when Loose Change and Zeitgeist came out on YouTube, that was organic. But they've done so much to clamp down on that kind of content becoming viral that that's why this feels very disingenuous and artificially boosted because this shit doesn't happen um, without there being some sort of intent or like right wing boosting behind the scenes that's done in a cynical fashion. Yeah. And, and it's not just, you know, they're definitely, it, it does seem like the, there are some right wing groups that are behind when these type of conspiracy movies go viral. I mean, we just saw another one that was very suspiciously sort of in the vein of a right wing framework out of shadows um, that went really viral like two or three weeks ago. Um, there was basically a stealth QAnon movie. Um, and I even saw people that I know who thought, think Pizzagate is bullshit, who think QAnon is bullshit, who are posting on social media because they, the information, I guess, like the, the red flags went, I guess, under their radar enough where they didn't realize that it was like an artificially boosted conspiracy doc like that. And then they had a QAnon person featured in about one third of it who believes that the California fires were all caused by uh, satellite lasers. They were shooting lasers down on California. Um, <laughs> So that it's it's fascinating to me how boosted those have gotten, and this feels similar. So, you know, again, the whole movie pandemic is the only Trump official, the only currently serving government official, the federal government, who has been shown in this film as being a villain, is Doctor Anthony Fauci, and extremely fucking conveniently, nobody that Trump has appointed, Abby is called out or targeted at all in this film or its narrative. And you see that narrative in a general sense, sort of broadcasting all over the internet in conspiracy world. Like everybody is now posting a video showing Dr. Anthony Fauci saying, don't wear a mask from like two months ago, you know, showing that he's evil and or whatever. It's like a lot of health officials were saying that wrong information or that misleading information. Just like them pulling that selective WHO tweet out saying that there's no evidence of human-to-human transmission. I mean, a lot of people thought that at the time. The WHO got it wrong on Twitter only. In fact, they corrected it immediately, and all their other stuff coming out was actually not saying that. So it was like an error on Twitter. And everyone's like selectively pointing out that one tweet and saying, like, this is proof that the WHO was lying to us on behalf of China, and they put us all at risk. And it's like, okay, like that's that's the proof for you, right? That this is a, this is a reductive narrative is all true. Well, it also doesn't help so, that YouTube was banning it because, like you mentioned, I mean the fact they were that boosting Epic, it. Yeah, wait, what do you mean? Well, YouTube's algorithm is shown that they boosted Plandemic, but I thought they ultimately so that, removed it. They did. They did both. That's what's so bizarre about what YouTube is doing. They, the algorithm boosts these can, these QAnon videos and then they ban them. The algorithm boosts Plandemic and then it bans it. It's it's a very odd thing. 
So it just gives it credibility to people who think that there's some something trying to be of hidden course. from it, you know. And and meanwhile, you have Epic Times like I don't know doing like seventy five percent of the ads on YouTube saying it's a Chinese bioweapon. So it's like, what exactly is the difference here? No, it's it's very very strange. Yeah, and again, I mean, it's the movie is you know mostly dependent on um. Oh, what's her name? What is the doctor's name who's in the film? Do you remember? I got to look it up. Yeah, well, this is what I didn't understand right off the bat. Why was she arrested? Why was she in jail? But she claims that she was arrested and jailed for trying to expose something and that she had previously worked for Fauci, which gave her like more credibility. And like the thing is, it starts off. Interesting. I mean, talking about patent laws and the HIV assessment, yeah. like, sure. I mean, I totally agree with that part of it. I think Fauci is a piece of shit. He was definitely probably involved in that. Um, probably did get a lot of people killed. But again, that's really interesting that it's, again, just Fauci. Right. It's like, who was in charge during AIDS? Ronald Reagan. Right. It's like the patriot nationalist, like MAGA chud movement's favorite person other than Trump was Ronald Reagan. So the movie can't go after Ronald Reagan. You know, yeah, it's like right. just a clear sign that it's a limited hangout to only appeal to a very specific subset of people. They can't, they don't want to offend anybody who likes Ronald Reagan in this movie. Yeah. It's like how much to me power just, can Fauci really have? <laughs> like he's well, obviously exactly. empowered by whatever administration he's working for. Well, exactly. That's why this is fascinating. Cause like, so you see Trump literally tweeting out, you know, liberate, uh, I forgot the states. Do you remember the states? Virginia or something? Lib- liberate Virginia, liberate. While he's simultaneously uh, promoting his own version of a national lockdown. Right. He's not right. imposing it directly. He's letting the states use their authority to do it yes. themselves. Yes. That's what he is doing. Yes. So how is this Fauci's fault? How is Trump not? It, it's Again, it's like, dude. Like, if you want to make a believable conspiracy documentary, you got to go after the people in power, not just like one person who's an Obama holdover, you fucking idiots. Like, are you serious? It's just so obvious. Well, yeah, no, it's such a good point that Trump could have easily made a statement at the press conference, one of these press conferences being like, um, we need to liberate all these states. I I hereby like declare that no governor can do stay-at-home orders. It's like, okay, then just do that. Like, why play both sides here? Why take to Twitter and pander to the to this movement, but at the same time, leave it up to the states to do whatever they want? How does that work? It's because Trump is, is smart enough to know to leave certain things the way they are, to keep certain pieces in play so that no matter what happens, like, he's ultimately not to blame. Yeah. Like, his spin masters can some... It's, it is kind of a genius ploy to say we're going to leave it to the states and then act like you're mad at the states for doing what yep. you gave them the authority to yeah, do. Right. It's like it is it is cartoonishly obvious, but yet it works. This energy is still super strong where it doesn't matter. Trump is still able to play this game and he plays it and it, 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 it he plays it brilliantly. I mean, right. And, and the, the presentation is almost like this is a pro worker initiative. This whole reopen the economy thing, like, is painted as yeah. pro worker. But it's not. It's really ultimately as pro corporation. Right. Because it's not saying anything in the movie about, like, why shouldn't we be sending supplemental checks to people while the government, you know, the states are forcing them to do this? It's not saying anything about that. That would be the logical thing. Unless you're 
a very staunch fiscal conservative who doesn't want people to get handouts, which is actually like not the majority of the population. Mm -hmm. So the movie, again, is trying to appeal to people very specifically in that framework. It doesn't want to turn off the fiscal conservatives at all by mentioning what you just talked about. So they want to make it all seem like, you know, it's just about getting the economy started, you know, is the primary goal here. And the herd immunity thing, which I thought was an interesting facet because, again, like honing in on those two emergency room doctors that have been all over Tucker Carlson and Fox News, you know, a couple other doctors who have had viral videos, and then this woman who's the primary interviewee. um, And the thing is, again, going back to like, is this American or is it global? It's a global thing, right? And so there's a global consensus among the scientific community that agrees largely with the severity of the virus, that agrees largely with the social distancing measures that need to be implemented. So that's mm-hmm. why it's like it kind of falls apart when you take it on a global spectrum and be like, okay, so why is there only a, a couple of doctors around the world speaking out about how this is actually like the opposite of what we should be doing? We should be building herd immunity and that we shouldn't yeah. be wearing gloves and that and masks actually harm us. If you want to try to take a, a, a sort of large swath of doctors' opinions and you're only listening to the doctors who are saying this is this is all fake, it's you know, it's exaggerated. Um, they're saying that any patient who dies right now who has COVID is called the COVID death. That's a scam. Um, all of those, if you're only paying attention to that stuff but not paying attention to the other stuff, then you are obviously operating on a confirmation bias, which is fine. I mean, if you want to do that, that's fine. But you just have to acknowledge that this is not the cons- general consensus. Now, on the other hand, I'm not saying the general consensus of medicine is to be worshipped at some kind of altar either. That's that's where I think where you also can get into dicey territory um, because medicine evolves and changes over time. I'm sure in 20 years, some of our medical practices will be looked back on now and be like, wow, I can't believe we did something that crazy. That's really dangerous, what we were doing. So that's that's the that's the reality of medicine that is always evolving. But I just wish people were not falling into these reductive paradigms when discussing this. Because again, there is some, you know, discussion to be had. Like, you know, what the hell is this virus and how is it actually killing people? Is that is that information changing now? I mean, it seems like it is sort of changing, but yet we get all these reductive false narratives that feel very controlled opposition saying, no, this virus is actually not dangerous because hydroxychloroquine totally gets rid of it. It's fine. Like this is a miracle cure. It's like, no, it's not. The data shows that it has a very marginal effect. Like no, no scientists are saying that it's like a cure that will save you from COVID. So I, I, again, I just, is there a track here somewhere? Not saying Let's take both sides of this crazy debate and go in the middle. But like, what are the actual facts here? And how can we have discussions about this without falling into these like weird controlled opposition pitfalls? Well, I guess what I meant about the scientific community is like we need rigorous debate and like consensus largely. It's kind of reminds me of the climate change debate where it's like a lot of these people will hone in on the 15 or so outliers who dissent against the large consensus that climate change is man-made, right? 
I mean, I know we don't have that much data and information yet. And what brings me back to my point at the beginning is like, we're still uncovering what this really is and how deadly it really is and and all of the facts behind it. But I think that there is something to be said about the scientific community on an independent basis that's not being like, you know, not not like government scientists or corporate scientists, like just the the independent scientists and virologists that are looking at this. And so it's easy to like hone in on like two emergency room doctors who are just like, this is fucking stupid. But what does that well, of mean course. in the grand scale of everything that's going on? So. Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I definitely think, I think people just need to remember, and it's obvious is that this is a new thing. Right. So a lot of the information is like really sort of being updated in real time. So it does sort of give the, these sort of controlled opposition narratives, much more breathing room to just be like, no, this is fake because they got it wrong. Look at this tweet from, it's like, well, this shit's like developing constantly. Exactly. um, It's very, very, I mean, it's very smart what they're doing, but I'm, you know, I don't know where it's ultimately going to lead. Like, are they, is Trump going to keep sort of egging on these types of protests? Is it just like a trial balloon for him to see if his poll numbers would go up? Like what, what, you know, he's a total wild card. It's hard to say what his actual motives are. Well, I don't we'll really know see. where to go. We'll oh, see oh, oh, we're going to talk about the lab too. We'll, we'll see when these states reopen. I mean, they're already reopening, right? Florida is yeah. now uh, opening restaurants and nail salons and hair salons and stuff like that. So like, we'll see what happens. And I think that's going to be the test of what what is the truth um, once we see these states go back to normal and and lift their guidelines? I know that in California there's still like a pretty exponential increase of COVID cases, so it is a little scarier. But yeah, I think the South and these states that are quote unquote reopening their economy because of the pressure of these movements and right wing governors, those will be interesting test cases for the rest of the country. Yeah, they will be. It's just a big uh, social experiment at this point. It is, yeah. Um, And then, I mean, one of the big backbone premises of Plandemic is this sort of, it was an inside job, you know, purposeful release of a virus. Right, from the U.S. and China working together going back to Fauci, right? Is that what? The deep state, yeah. I mean, well, the implication, she doesn't outright spell this out. But that somehow, like Fauci, again, it's Fauci, nobody else in the Trump administration, who was possibly working with the Chinese government or these globalists, I'm not exactly sure, to release a bioweapon on the world on purpose. Now, this is a little different than the general right-wing narrative you're seeing from the general MAGA movement right now. The general narrative from that movement is that this was China's fault. Um, that China released this, that that funding that came from the U.S. government to fund parts of the Wuhan lab is omitted from the narrative. And if it's mentioned, it's only mentioned as if it's Fauci's fault, even though um, this funding actually happened during the Trump administration and was signed off by officials that were appointed by Trump. It's not like Fauci can allocate parts of the budget on his own and just send millions of dollars to this Wuhan lab in China. It doesn't work that way. So again, it's it's like omitting that detail, but yet this is a very, very viral narrative that's coming in multiple forms. So the form you just described, the, you know, the form saying that it's China deliberately releases as a bioweapon to shut down the world, that's the other form. But the more mainstream form 
that's actually crossed over into more neoliberal circles, and it's it's not just only isolated to the right wing, is this idea that it leaked accidentally and China covered it up, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that it's a leak mm-hmm. and that they were studying, you know, we know for sure, you know, that the narrative sort of goes like this, like we know for sure they were studying, studying, uh, studying coronavirus from, from bats and trying to like find new coronaviruses and, you know, trying to, you know, increase their effectiveness, like adding gain of function features to them with like genetic manipulation. And this, there is stuff documented going back like five or six years showing that different labs um, across the world were doing this kind of research. In fact, there is something like, you know, they talk the way the right wing and even this movie talks about this lab, they make it sound as if there's only a lab that does really dangerous things like this in Wuhan and then like another one in like Fort Detrick or um, North right. Carolina. That's not true at all. There's like actually something like 50 labs like this all over the world that have this, uh, what they call the, like the biosafety level four uh, qualification. So that needs to be seen in context. It's like, well, if your premise is that this leaked from a lab, first of all, you have to prove that it leaked, that it like originated in Wuhan. And I don't. I feel like the data at this point is not even a hundred percent clear that it did. That's what's to me strange is we're all going on this assumption that this came from Wuhan, this came from China. That's where patient zero comes from. But do we actually know that for sure at this point? I mean, there seems to be contradictory information coming out that there was COVID nineteen um, being reported in like France and stuff like before the first outbreak in China. So what's actually going on here? It just seems like maybe it's maybe too soon to say that we know for sure that this came from China. Mm-hmm. I don't know, though. That's why I think it's important that we get a virologist, um, someone who's an expert on this, to come on Media Roots Radio and address all these things that are being discussed. That'd be great. That'd you know, be because great. even Meryl Nass and Francis Boyle, who are two very respectable scientists, they are both sort of implying that it might have been lab created as well. Interesting. And leaked from a lab. And that is really surprising to me. But, you know, I, I'm just not convinced by that theory that it leaked from a lab in general. Um, but there's a lot of weird viral medium posts. And there's even this website called Project Evidence that's going around that feels like a Bellingcat paper that's going through all these details. Like It's like 50 pages long trying to make the case that this leaked from the Wuhan lab. And it's like, who wrote this thing? Like, why is this anonymous? They say it's written by all these anonymous scientists who don't want to get fired, you know, for saying something controversial. It's like, who, who, who really is behind this kind of shit? Simultaneously with a State Department leak campaign, trying to leak and insinuate to all these media outlets that it did also leak from a lab. That's the, that's the thing, like, is that this is all aiding and abetting the Trump administration's narrative that you called out first, which is that this is like a WMD thing. We need to let the inspectors in. We need to analyze the lab. Even if it was an accidental release, there's no doubt that it came from a lab. And this is, you just see, this has gone completely mainstream, 100%. We're just everyone in the Trump administration is talking about it as if it's fact. Conservative media outlets, it's just gone so far beyond the Committee on Present Danger China and is now just every time I open the news, it's that coming coming through where even like China and all these other countries had to come forward and say like this is easily debunked this is not true you need to stop saying this 
you're just trying to distract from the failures of your own country. But it's it's going full steam ahead. Well, yeah, and that's the fascinating thing is it's only America who has really spoke out like American government officials who have really made a stink and, and said this loudly. I mean, no other governments in the world, as far as I know, have made have made a declaration like this, have said that this is leaked from a lab. So that's, you know, obviously the U.S. government, the Trump administration really want to get that narrative to stick. I don't know if you just saw Trump's tweet just now. Did you see this where he's no. talking about how Asian Americans are ang- are furious at China? They're, they're like the most furious at China or something. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Huh. That's what he said because like, I don't, he just like wanted to make it seem like he's not racist. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't we call it a Chinese yeah. virus if we call it Chinese food? Yeah, exactly. I mean, Makes that's no not sense. racist. Yeah. Um, yeah, the whole thing is weird. I mean, it's just, it's a bummer because there are a lot of people out there, even from like, you know, the left who will see that connection, you know, with the U.S. government, um, U.S. aid people, people from U- bioweapons program of the U.S. government working and doing projects at that lab. And I think for them, that's like enough evidence that there it was something really sketchy going on there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know enough about science to know, you know, like how safe the, this shit is or if things have leaked from labs before. I mean, they claim that things have leaked from labs before and then been like contained. But I feel that this is going to be – so I guess what I, how I want to end this, Abby, is just saying that this is going to be really difficult now to – to debunk and to really tackle all the facets of, because there's such a flood of all this, like it's like it's blinded by all this, like very scientific jargon. If you read some of these papers, I mean, that's why you almost need a virologist at this point to tackle it. Someone who's doesn't appear to have a conflict of interest, someone who's not connected to the U S you know, bioweapons program. Cause I guess one of these people who debunked it, tried to debunk it like a few weeks ago in Newsweek was, and all the people are just like, no, that person's like part of it. So it's it's going to be difficult, and um, I don't know if this is making any sense to anyone listening. But I'm, tr- you know, my goal is moving forward, try to get some more nuanced discussions going about this, and actually get some experts to comment on it who aren't subscribing to this. So hopefully we can do that fairly soon on a Media Roots Radio episode. Yeah, no, you're. It's a good point because unlike something like nine eleven, where it's just so obvious, right? And it's so obvious what the government is doing to exploit something like that. Uh, for nefarious purposes, this is something that I don't understand. And a lot of us don't understand because we're not scientists and we're not health professionals. And so we can only just take it from authority. You know, we only can listen to like the authority on the matter. And so it's really easy to get swayed, to get manipulated, especially because the government is so easy to distrust. And they do such horrible shit, right? And of course, they're going to exploit this. Look at what they're doing just around the world uh, to spread war, sanctions under the cover of COVID. So, and ultimately, this pandemic movie is not, you know, even though they're talking about, they're opening the the sort of the conspiratorial narrative up to the idea that the U.S. government has maybe have some involvement in releasing this virus. They're not. They're again. They're not. They're. They seem to be automatically absolving anyone in the Trump administration, sort of with the premise that Trump's administration are the nationalist patriots fighting the deep state. And if this yeah. happened, it was the deep state. 
So it's again, it sort of fits in that narrative. It's like, well, we need to have a discussion that broadens that. It's like, okay, let's have that discussion, but why are you protecting Trump? This is right. very, very sketchy. It's clear limited hangout. Any way you want to slice it, that movie is a limited hangout. Even if some of the information of it is true, is true, it's cherry-picked and it is a limited hangout. It's as simple as that. Well, Robbie, um, Alex Jones said that he's going to eat his neighbor's ass repeatedly if his family needs to mm-hmm. eat. Um, which is weird because I don't actually see us running out of food anytime soon. And also, doesn't he have like stockpiles of food and dehydrated food and all those soups from like that Christian pastor and like all the supplement business shit? Like... I'm sure you're good, dude. Why do you keep talking about how you're going to eat your neighbor's ass to feed your family if the pandemic gets worse? At this point, I almost think he did it, did that to get, he just wants like (laughs) negative attention. It's like, and uh, yeah, when I, when I first saw the headline, I was like, wait, is he talking about like, like eating someone's asshole, like sexually? Because I didn't, I didn't see the, I didn't watch the clip, but he's literally talking about like consuming someone's ass meat. Like in an apocalypse. So, yeah, I mean, he is, you know, he is like an, it was entertaining to like watch him sound like a fucking insane person. So (laughs) he's still got it. If his goal is to just like come off as a total lunatic who says hilariously off the wall shit. I mean. Yeah. And then his wife, of course, his ex-wife. Oh my God. Kelly tried to use that. And I don't know if it was effective to get custody again. (laughs) I was going to say, if I was his neighbor, I would be pretty upset. I would like talk to the media. I'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually his neighbor. Um, I did watch that clip where he talked about eating my ass. Um, very, very alarming. <laughs> um, talk really briefly about what, what you mean when you say the protests are AstroTurf, because, you know, the Democrats have totally failed to provide a working class solution to this. They haven't put anything forward in terms of a UBI, universal basic income. They haven't put anything forward in terms of rent, mortgage relief. Um, You have Nancy Pelosi, the ultimate gatekeeper who's been in charge our entire adult lives, who is worth $100 million. One fucking $100 million. That that is just absolutely mind-blowing. She did an interview very recently where she was just like, yeah, you know, an income check could be something to consider at this point. It's just like, dude, it's been three months now. What the fuck are you doing? They're not even trying to remotely appear as if they're doing anything for working class people whatsoever. And then you have Joe Biden doing these bizarre glitched out art performances on his social media campaign. Super bizarre. And lying constantly. Just lying, lying, lying. You have the Tara Reid shit going on, which is a nightmare. And I just saw that he lied about how his wife died, too. He said that she was killed by a drunk driver. Totally untrue. It was a horrible, um, fatal car accident that the guy was not drunk at all. And he, like, to his grave, he ended up dying. His whole, like, remaining life where he was alive, he was just, like, really devastated that Joe Biden kept saying that he was a drunk driver because it was totally false. So anyway, what do you mean when you say these protests are astroturf? Because... I think it's important for people to understand who's organizing them and what money is going behind them. So it was organized. So the first major one was organized by the Michigan Conservative Coalition and the Michigan Freedom Fund. And this is according to the New York Times, the Michigan Freedom Fund, uh, the chairman for it manages the vast financial investments of Dick and Betsy DeVos, the education secretary. Oh, and that the overall campaign 
to open America, like the main campaign, I guess, that's like going like, like sort of putting out that message right now, um, is by Stephen Moore, uh, a fellow at the Heritage Foundation, a Coke ally and a Trump advisor. And he admitted, this is according to the New York Times, admitted as much in a video I obtained comparing these protesters to Rosa Parks. So this is the guy who said that this is a, the Rosa Parks thing to do. And we already talked about this earlier. I don't know how much we want to go into this now, but it is a bummer because we do need to sort of protest and question certain things that are going on. Like, it's just, this is not the way to do it, to just demand a reopening of the country. I mean, I do think that it is problematic and and it is unconstitutional to tell people to like stay at home indefinitely or they could be fined unless they're going just to the grocery store or to the doctor or things that are only essential. I mean, how long can you do that and how fair is that to do? It does seem, again, I'm extremely concerned about public safety. I ta- I'm taking this COVID-19 virus seriously, but there is a problem there. So how do you address that without playing into this framing? Right. And how do you, and I'm not saying discount all these people entirely, like they're all AstroTurf, because that's not true either. I mean, there are some, you know, conservatives who are probably just only seeing this very myopically as they're taking away our rights, which I can understand. Like, I could actually sympathize with that myopic view. That is a big deal. So I don't know. This is where I am confused about this, because like, I don't really know how to address this. I just know that they can't keep this up forever. And it's really, really fucking sad that the Democrats and that even like the media is just not pushing that idea of like, we need a sustainable universal basic income to get us through this. If we're going to keep things shut down at the very least, like if we're going to keep things shut down, that's what we need to do at the very least. There's just no other way around that. So to like omit that from the dialogue creates a situation where it's almost, you feel like, well, we, we got to open things back up. Eventually we got to get the economy back because technically we do, but we don't have to, That's it's not that pressure that we're all of a sudden feeling like if people were getting universal basic income of course, to help right, them through this. Right. Or businesses were getting you know, money from the government to help them in case they have to stay closed for several mm-hmm. months. Like that's just that, that, like that needs to be much more part of the dialogue. And I know that sounds just so basic and obvious, but that's to me is the curious thing. It's like, that's gone now. That's not even in the dialogue yep. or, or narrative anymore. Yeah, because it's, it's just seen this, as too radical, right? It's seen as yeah, just Yeah, it's completely... just keep things closed mm-hmm. versus open it up right now. It's that's bizarre. it. It's like, that, those are not, our, those should not be our options. Well, it's just like the healthcare thing. It's like the fact that this is just something that is like an ordained right in every other country, you know, and, and just like the UBI, it's something that's just a given. It's not even an issue in any other country, but it's just like, it's such a huge source of contention here. Like we can't even address it. I found an interesting poll that, you know, as we talked about before in previous episodes about people of color and people in like these sacrifice zones being most impacted anyway, just in New York city, um, 74% of white voters, and this is like New York where it's like way more diverse than a lot of these other places, but 74% of white voters did not know someone who had died from the coronavirus compared to 48% of black voters, um, and 52% of Latinos who did know. So it just shows you how much more 
it has struck those kind of poor, low-income neighborhoods uh, comprised of people of color. So I don't know if that's similar to the rest of the country, but it could also speak to the demographics of people who agree with these kind of measures or don't. Um, Was there anything else you wanted to say about the astroturfing? Yeah, I mean, I guess just just to sum it up, I mean, I I want people to understand where we're coming from on this. Like, I know that it's become this sort of weird thing now where it's like, if you even bring up, like, for example, free speech at this point in time in the political dialogue, you're almost seen as like you might be a right winger. And it's like, we need to, we need to remember that these, these things are important and it doesn't matter that the right wing has astroturfed them into like a stupid ass, like clickbait thing for like Fox News grandmas, you know? I mean, it, civil liberties are important. We, we shouldn't be given an ambiguous, indefinite order to stay in, stay at home. Like there is something that's unsettling and problematic about that because when is it going to end? What kind of authorities will that give the government? Free speech is important. It doesn't matter that the right-wingers have hoisted up someone like Milo Yiannopoulos as a free speech icon or Ann Coulter. It's like, obviously that's fucking like fake-ass bullshit, but we can't forget that these things are, you know, they're serious and we do need to find a way to be able to discuss them. And I think, unfortunately, I think a lot of people on the left are afraid to, once the right does sort of ruin the argument because that really is what they've done is they've sort of just like flooded it with manufactured reductive talking points mm-hmm. and it makes it really hard to have a real grounded discussion about this that we need to have yeah it's like the free speech argument on college campuses you know exactly milo and all these people are propped up as the martyrs it makes you forget that there is an actual government yeah. facilitated like le- like legislation <laughs> against Palestine activism, against uh, free speech in regards to things like that. So it's really important to reclaim these narratives, take them back from the right wing, because the right wing is just so good at hijacking all this shit, especially in times of crisis like this, especially when you can just make Trump seem like the savior on everything. You know, Trump's the one who wants to preserve free speech, Robbie. Trump's the one who wants to reopen the economy and save the country. I mean, even just this Elon Musk thing, a little exchange he did today, it's like, well, you know, like he just wants to come out looking like he's on the side of the people. And I think he's still somehow effectively doing that. Even though, like we said, he is technically, he could at any time say, these governors do not have the authority to do this. Yeah, this is against the constitution. I mean, he could he could come out and say what like Elon Musk is you know saying about why he wants to make sure Tesla workers in the factory. It's just like, so yeah, the whole thing is just a mess, and we need to just step outside of the framing. I think. So yeah. Meanwhile, workers striking all over the country are being met with very little relief to no relief at all, and in fact are being punished for striking and demanding proper health care <laughs> and safety measures. For example, garbage workers in New Orleans who are already getting paid just $10 an hour, they just got replaced, fired in mass, replaced with prisoners when they went on strike. So that's how the system rewards people who are trying to strike for their safety. I mean, it's just amazing. You don't really think about people who are collecting garbage and what they go through and what they're risking to do this and how little they already get paid. And then to actually fire them and replace them with prisoners is just, it's a little bit beyond the pale. 
Yeah, I mean, what's funny is before we started recording this, we were talking about kind of the reaction to a lot of our China coverage on Media Roots Radio lately. You know, you released this epic two-part series on the Committee for Present Danger China. We interviewed Ian Goodrum, um, a China News Daily reporter, just kind of sifting through the disinformation about what's going on right now. We've been talking about it a lot, but at least on Facebook, I've noticed that a lot of the comments are people being like, oh, so China doesn't lie. China isn't running some propaganda matrix of authoritarian nightmare communism and like lied about this and that. And it's like, it's weird because I don't remember these people saying the same thing about Russia or Syria. There was a lot of just kind of ridiculing the establishment for trying to blame everything on Russia and Syria. But then again, if we're going back to how it's really partisan dog shit, that really was like a Democrat thing. So maybe that's where it's coming from. I will never fully understand how that happened. You know, everybody, a lot of people will try to blame Russian disinformation and R, even RT for that happening. But it's, I, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, it's, I do know how the right and how a lot of these people got indoctrinated into hating China. That's very clear. I don't know how they got in a completely opposite framework about Russia. Because, yeah, you're right. Some of these people who talk the most shit about China were some of the most vociferous defenders of, like, Assad and Putin. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't defend or, you know, point out the hypocrisy of America going after those countries. But it is strange how... China is, like, to them, the quintessential villain. And to them, they, they could even, like I was explaining earlier, wrap it into this larger framework. Because OAN News, I don't even know if we mentioned this, Abby, but mm -mm. OAN News Network. The Illuminati Pyramid? Well, yeah. So OAN News Network is a news network that's, like, basically run by, like, Trump surrogates. Trump will promote it when he's upset at Fox News for not towing his line. So think about that for a second. Fox News is not loyal enough to Trump, so he'll actually promote this network that's flagship reporter is Jack Posobiec. Like, this is not a joke. This is a real channel. And a few days ago on their channel, they ran a news report that the background graphic of the news report is an Illuminati pyramid with the all-seeing eye. And the Chiron says, or not even the Chiron, sorry, the little headline says, coronavirus reports Deep State China used COVID-19 for population control. Soros, Clinton's, Gates suspected of Beijing WHO cover-up to seize COVID cure, undo U.S. Constitution. This is an actual headline. Wow. So now on one hand, you could say, well, you, you know, if you're if you're not. Let's say if you if this kind of media doesn't rub you the wrong way, if you're one of those people who just like this is this type of media is like fine with you, then I could see how you could sort of be like, well, yeah, there this could be some kind of population control. What is Bill Gates' agenda here? Is he going to profit off a vaccine? Like the, just the Bill Gates thing and profiting off of a vaccine alone is an is worthy of discussion, but we're going to have it wrapped up into this, you know, it's Fauci. Bill Gates, Soros, the Clintons, all part of some conspiracy <laughs> with China and the deep state to like destroy America. Like it's not even talking about like destroying other countries that have like so babyish. Like that's what's so so it's like once again, not only is it just reductive and weirdly controlled opposition, 
it's once again just like very American centric. It's like, what about even just the UK? Like, what about other countries? Like, just such a crazy thing to see from a network that the president officially promotes. I just can't process that. Yeah, and then how Jack Sabayek was like, uh, President Trump has like liked several of my tweets lately, and he's like, he's definitely watching. And then Trump quote tweeted him, and he was like, absolutely, Jack. Like, of course he is. Um, keep up the great work. And it's like, wow, cool. And yeah, I mean. So is that basically Trump trying to basically create his own very controlled, very loyal version of InfoWars? Is that basically what OAN is at this point? Is that basically what QAnon is at this point? I mean, if you really think about these things, what do they mainly do? They absolve Trump or any of his people from any responsibility of doing anything wrong. That's ultimately what they serve to do. So that's the pattern you see in all these type of limited hangout conspiracies. That's why at this point, the only conspiracies that I would remotely take seriously are ones that are broader in their narratives that, that you know, some of them that, don't, that do include Trump and his own people as doing bad things. The ones that magically always absolve everybody associated with Trump are obviously fake. I mean, can't people see that? That's the part I don't understand. And then I'm continuing to no, be No, it's the same thing it. as every time you talk about Trump doing anything in, in foreign policy, it's always like, it's not Trump. Yeah. This is just like a continuous thing. Like, why are you blaming on Trump? It's like, I'm not blaming it on Trump. We just, when whoever's leading the empire, you usually just point it out by that name, just like you did with Obama and Bush. Well, did yeah. you think Bush was the mastermind behind everything? Or half the comments, like on the latest expose that we did about what Trump's doing around the world was always just like, um, yeah, this is like totally just blaming everything on Trump when like it just is, it's been going on way longer than him. It's like, yeah, dude, no one's saying that he started any of this. The point is that he's ramping it up and making yeah. it worse. Do you not understand that or care about that? Well, it's just so fascinating because even someone like Greenwald, who's really made a name for himself, really going hard after Obama and his policies and making it not that it's all Obama's fault, like single-handedly, but pointing the finger, like ultimately the buck stops with him. He yes. let the continuity of like the war on terror and like these torture yes. things that continue, like that's his fault. Just like it's Trump's fault, whatever continues going on in his administration, whatever Fauci does is ultimately right. Trump's fault because he can right. fire that motherfucker. Like, yeah, what the exactly. Fuck, the dude? whole fire Fauci thing. It's like, well, why is he still working there? Yeah. That money was Why? sent to the Wuhan lab in 2017. So you're right. telling me that's the deep state going against Trump with you know right. collaboration with Fauci and Gates or whatever narrative they're trying to spin? I mean, come on, when does it end? If you look at like so Whitney Webb, for example, she touches on subjects that, you know, are a very prominent in conspiracy culture, but she takes the narrative broadly enough where like a lot of shit's about Trump and people that are related to him in her pieces. Like for example, in her Epstein piece, or in her discussions with Maria Farmer, one of Epstein's victims, she t- she directly like implicates Trump's like ex-wife as being like involved with Ghislaine Maxwell and like recruiting women and stuff. Why don't you hear about these things in like the QAnon narrative? It's because those narratives are obviously fake, designed to just absolve Trump and his administration of anything. Oh yeah, totally. Like the Roy Moore shit. Yeah. Yeah, you have to like look. You have to actually look for shit now. You know, out you you can't just have these things handed to you. So right, it's just fascinating. And again, we're probably just I, f- I sound like I'm just a broken record repeating this, but 
<laughs> it's it's a really big deal. And I mean, I'm not saying, you know, look at everything as controlled opposition, but at this point, I think you have to look at any conspiracy narrative that goes really viral just as skeptically as you would like a mainstream media story about something. I mean, you really do. I don't see the difference. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so tiresome now and it's it's making me so disillusioned and disinterested in like anything that's going on rhetorically and analytically through all of my, like all the people that I used to read and follow and shit. It's just becoming so boring and tedious that I just, I've completely unplugged which is just really weird. It's something that I've never done before, but I'm so exhausted. It has everything to do with what you're talking about. Yeah, and and, and I don't want to miss... I mean, it may, may even sound like we're just acting like we're blaming this all on some kind of right-wing conspiracy or something, like a, like a right-wing Trump administration, you know, coalescence and conspiracy to do this. But I'm, I'm definitely not... That's not where my mindset is. Like, I definitely place a large amount of the blame on like the Democrats and the neoliberal establishment and these Obama officials who basically created the perfect storm to allow these right-wing operators to fill this void and to act like they were being targeted by this deep state. Of course. They gave them this perfect opportunity. As you're talking about the neoliberals and stuff, it reminds me of the whole argument that's just being endlessly cycled about like Joe Biden and Trump, you know, the lesser of two evils thing. And it's like, you see people like Mehdi Hassan and all these other people being like, Trump is the most uniquely horrific, fucked up president we've ever had. And if you don't vote against him and if you vote third party, you're just like voting for him anyway, whatever, whatever. But it's just, it's interesting. It's like, I do hate Trump and I think he is extremely dangerous and I am worried about what a second term will mean. But it's also like you cannot take Trump's presidency in isolation without understanding how we got here. Trump would never be president if we didn't have Obama and Bush before him and, you know what I mean, and Clinton. And it's like everything feeds into another result. So it's just odd. It's like an ahistorical analysis about why we have Trump and how we have Trump and how it's like equally the liberals' fault for, for letting us get to this fucking place. Just dovetailing into our discussion, I mean, so Michael Flynn was essentially exonerated by the U.S. Justice Department, headed by William Barr, of course, last week. And, you know, everyone's doing a victory lap, which I could understand uh, to some degree. It did seem like, to a large degree, this was kind of an entrapment scheme by the FBI. But at the same time, like, there are thousands of people who get entrapped by the FBI every year. And I'm sure on some level, a lot of those people are not war criminals who, you know, enjoyed turning Afghanistan civilians into human hamburger patties like Michael Flynn did. I'm sure some of those people were people of color who might have even been involved in like drug deals that the FBI entrapped or that the DEA entrapped or any of these other federal agencies entrapped. So I find it interesting that this guy is hoisted up, even by people in our circles, Abby, as being some kind of heroic figure that was exonerated that we should have sympathy for. First of all, I don't have sympathy for anyone who's friends with Michael Ledeen and who co-writes a book with PNAC neocon Michael Ledeen. The way I see this on a very surface level is Michael Ledeen's friend and war criminal Michael Flynn fell for a perjury trap. And that's where I would put the period, end of sentence, end of paragraph, end of discussion. 
Now, if you want to talk about how there was some kind of, you know, that this was a really integral piece of, you know, the deep state trying to get their cold war with Russia, would it really amount to? How, I don't know. I mean, if Flynn was really set up by the FBI to fall into a perjury trap, how important is that actually? How, how sorry should we feel for him? Should we really see this as something that, you know, was so, such a crime that was committed or such an unfair thing that was committed that was like this key to how this is some kind of deep state war to, to push for war with Russia against these patriots like Flynn who wanted to taunt with Russia? That's like the narrative that we're getting. And let's ask the question, was Flynn really targeted for trying to do a backdoor detente with Russia. Was he? I mean, do we really even know that? I don't necessarily believe that. I think that's a very oversimplified narrative. You know, there's a weird shift here where even people like Eli Lake, who is actually very pro-Flynn now, is saying that uh, Trump was totally right. He's exonerated. Eli Lake even wrote an article two years ago saying that Flynn was railroaded. But, you know, and then out of this, we have this carrot on a stick where it's now a trending hashtag on Twitter that it's Obamagate, because apparently uh, there's now proof that uh, Obama directed this probe into the Trump administration. But when you actually go back and look at the proof, it's a Federalist article by this person named, I think her name is Merrill Hemingway, saying that a conversation happened before the inauguration uh, with Obama trying to destroy evidence trail of Trump's campaign being investigated. But if you actually look at the article, I, I didn't find it really convincing. I mean, I'm totally open to the idea that Obama's fingerprints are directly on some attempt to tie Trump's campaign with Russia to make it look like they were colluding. I'm open to that, that idea that Obama got his hands dirty and wanted that to happen. However, there's still really no direct proof of that. And I've honestly been waiting for that because they, they've sort of been hinting at it. You know, like Trump's been like this look back investigation by Horowitz. This is, you know, they've been sort of hinting that eventually we're going to find these fingerprints. You know, like we're going to put Obama in jail now. Trump is saying that the worst crime ever committed by any president was what Obama did. And when he was asked by a reporter, he said, you know, you know what it was. So that's what we're Once again, the Federalist now. gets it right, Robbie. Yeah, so that's what we're left with now. And it's just like, okay, I mean, can we just get some real fucking journalism about what happened? Instead of people who got sucked into Russiagate, and instead of people who are falling for this like reductive narrative that the right wing is spinning. I mean, there's got to be, I just don't see very much great analysis out there about this. And, you know, just as a side note, Trump has now amplified QAnon accounts on Twitter 131 times. Wow. According wow. to the newest count, this is from Media Matters, since the coronavirus pandemic began, he's amplified QAnon accounts at least 36 times. That is mind-blowing. Yeah, wow. so it's actually gone increased exponentially, just like the, Q and, uh, the coronavirus itself. Trump's uh, promotion of QAnon <laughs> has also increased exponentially. Unbelievable, dude. Holy shit. Yep. Wow. Unbelievable. And then people like Elon Omar like will retweet me and then get, you know, there's like a news headline for like a week straight about how she promoted a Russian propagandist conspiracy theorist. 
But when Trump can just like you? do this shit every day, you know? When was that? Huh? I forgot about that. This was like way earlier when she first got into office oh, and she yeah, retweeted like Trump ago. expanding the empire. Yeah. And uh, it was like a news story for a week, but it's just funny that Trump, again, Trump can do no wrong. You know, he just retweets QAnon insanity constantly. It just doesn't matter. Yeah. And he Very always cool. retweets things from QAnon accounts that don't have overt QAnon things in them, which is interesting because it, to me, it shows some intentionality behind what he's doing. He's hinting. It's like he knows that it's all a game and he needs to keep hinting at it. And that, and maybe that's his way of doing it by retweeting QAnon accounts that aren't actual QAnon tweets. I mean, it's right. Or it, or it could just be that that's how many of the right wingers he retweets are QAnoners because like it's so fucking pervasive. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like he has no distinction at all. He doesn't care. He doesn't like look to see who he's retweeting. Oh, he yeah. just retweets them. You he, know? he accidentally retweeted something the other day that said that Barr was like a criminal. Whoops. Yeah. And he left it up for like eight hours or something. So yeah, there's probably a lot of times where he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> oh my God. Um, well, let's get into what Trump is doing. It's not the deep state. It's Trump's administration directly stacked with war criminals who are obsessed with overthrowing Venezuela. 100% blood on his hands, dude. Oh, you um, mean the dollar store Bay of Pigs? Dollar store Bay of Pigs. Which almost seemed to, like totally fake. When I first saw this, I was like, this ha- house is real. Yeah. I thought that I, I you know, and I, maybe I sh- I'm an idiot and falling for like CIA uh, framing here. But at first I was like, is the Venezuelan government making this up? Like that was my, <laughs> one of my initial thought. I have to be honest. Cause it was just so ridiculous. Yeah. But good. Right. No, it is. It is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And let's provide some context for this story. Venezuela has been completely targeted by the U.S. forever, um, but during the global pandemic, it has steadily increased pressure on the government, which is just unconscionable. You know, imagine being a leftist and actually saying that Maduro is an authoritarian dictator and da da da. He he just fucking froze rent for six months, made layoffs illegal. Unbelievable government assistance going on, despite these genocidal sanctions that are happening. So it's just it's just unconscionable what the U.S. is doing to Maduro. In February, Pompeo said, you know, they were looking to oust him again. In March, sanctions increased. Then they blocked that IMF loan um, that would allow Venezuela emergency access to loans. So Venezuela went around the IMF and worked with China and Russia to get emergency assistance. So the U.S. had to punish them, which is why it came up with these bogus narco-trafficking charges, even though its allies, Nicaragua and Colombia, are the real narco-traffickers. There's like literally no evidence that Venezuela traffics cocaine. And then they put that outrageous $15 million bounty on his head, which basically was encouraging something like this to happen, which is what we said at the beginning, that this is now going to put like a green light for mercenaries, for opposition forces, for basically anyone to kidnap and or kill Maduro and like deliver his head on a plate to the US and collect this bounty. And then right after that, they sent all these warships to Venezuela, all these naval detachments, and just constant intimidation and threats. On April 30th, apparently the Trump administration activated parts of the selected reserve forces to assist the U.S. armed forces in a mission 
called the Enhanced Department of Defense Counter Narcotics Operation in the Western Hemisphere. So just all of that aside is like that that's everything that's been happening before this operation took place. It's like every week there's just something else going on. You're calling it a failed, you know, Bay of Pigs dollar store type invasion because of course Kennedy infamously like botched the Bay of Pigs invasion, you know, in Cuba in 1961. It was outrageous what he did, what he attempted to do and it was just like a spectacularly um botched operation that failed in 2 days a huge, huge disaster. And really inevitably led to like a, almost a full-blown nuclear war because that was like the beginning of, you know, everything that became the Cuban Missile Crisis. So, and so that's what they tried to do again. They basically just tried to do something as ridiculous as that, except way more absurd because this is just like what 13 guys who were working for this company, Silver Corp, attempting to invade via boat. Well, they all were the for Silver Corp? Oh, I'm sorry. I guess two of them yeah. were. Because it, I, I, it's. But who were the other, like the other people? Good question. Were they just like just contractors for the contractors? <laughs> well, the guy was bragging to officials because I guess he had like worked in Colombia and tra- he was training in all these different places, and he was bragging that he could like bring eight hundred mercenaries to do this operation, like five hundred to eight hundred mercenaries with him. So what are you talking about? You know, who are these people that you're that are part of your squad here? So they attempted to invade via boat. The first of the two landings took place early Sunday in Maputo. This was May 3rd. Eight of the armed men who came ashore were also being led by an ex-Venezuelan army captain known as Pantera, which is the Panther, were killed. And the rest were captured. The second landing, which was the next day, took place on the Caribbean coast of Venezuela. Those armed invaders were detected by local fishermen who were part of like a socialist colectivo who just turned them over to Venezuelan <laughs> security forces. <laughs> and Wait, they're like on what? camera being like, we love Chavez. They're like, we, they're like, we love you Chavez. Like the, the, the little fishermen who captured these guys. Wow. It's just crazy. Yeah. Well, the next time maybe these, uh, these mercenaries should try to disguise themselves as Venezuelan fishermen. <laughs> and just sort of try to sneak up on shore because like yeah it doesn't seem like uh they thought this through very well i mean wh- how are they I, it makes me wonder what they looked like were they like all in like tactical gear and the fishermen were like what the fuck are these guys doing i think they're doing no, it, almost, it almost seemed like I, I think i saw like selfies that they were taking on the boat when they were coming in and they're just like just straight up look like army dudes like really obviously like u.s like wearing like, like fucking aviator CIA sunglasses spooks, and shit yeah, dude, it looked so crazy. Idiots. It was just like, yeah, obviously you're going to be fucking stopped. And then so immediately one of the captured Americans said in a confession that the operation was being directed by Donald Trump himself. As several people have pointed out, the head of Silver Corp, his name is Godreau, probably saying that wrong. It looks like it's French. He's also linked up with Trump's longtime bodyguard, um, who served as the director of Oval Office Operations. And so videos show Godreau working at Trump rallies. And they also boast this on their website that they like works private security for the Trump administration and his secret service. You know, he also has a weird history. He's an ex-Green Beret who also like tried to cash in on school shootings where he had this scheme where he was trying to infiltrate just high schools, pose as teachers and charge parents and like just bypass the whole government and school system and just like directly charge parents to pay him to pose as teachers so he could spy on students and prevent school shootings. 
He owed over a hundred grand in debts, and he was also under investigation for defrauding the army. So this whole operation is clearly like a cash grab trying to cash in on the Trump bounty against Maduro. And you can read it all in shocking detail. What was the in bounty the 41 amount? page contract? Do you in remember? the 41-page contract between Wido and Silvercorp that was confirmed to be authentic by Guadro himself. Do you what is the actual bounty amount? Do you know? The bounty amount is 15 million. But he was told that he would be paid 213 million from Guaido. Wow. Um, and that was to capture, detain, or quote, remove Maduro and install him in his place. I don't know if you saw Alan McLeod. He uh, he broke down the contents of this 41 page contract. It is absolutely shocking what Guaido and this guy agreed upon to do. And also, people may be asking, how could he afford to pay Guadro $213 million? Good question. Obviously, this was a this was completely approved by the Trump administration. We know that before this happened, Trump officials were like hinting that this would happen, kind of similar to the Liz Wall FPI hints mm-hmm. from Jamie Kirchick, like something big is about to happen. Maduro's going to go down. Um, we already know that Wido got paid $52 million from USAID a couple months ago. So God knows how much other money Wido and his little shadow fucking coup government is being funded. By U.S. tax dollars. So I'm sure that the $213 million would have been provided by the U.S. Well, here's um, by our government. Here's what's so strange to me is how it's just be levels of incompetence beyond comprehending. I mean, I, so the owner of Silvercorp um, from the official account on Twitter tweeted at Trump about three days before, um, or no, it was like the day of, it says May 4th. Or is that a day after? No, that's that's May fourth is the day of the second. Um, no launch. shit. Okay, so he yeah. literally just says strike force. He tweets this to Donald Trump from the Silver Court Twitter account on May fourth. Strike force incursion into Venezuela. Sixty Venezuelan, two American, ex Green Beret. It's like what? I mean, who in their right mind would even put that on a public like put that on any social media? It's very unusual. And then. There's also an Instagram record of Silvercore participating in that Live Aid concert, that total like fake, you know, foreign policy uh, thing that Richard Branson was involved in, where they did that mm-hmm. that concert claiming there was like fifty thousand people, even though there's only like five thousand people yeah. that attended. Um, so is Richard Branson bankrolling these people? Like, what the fuck? This is shit's just really, really strange. Yeah, for people who don't remember, that was a really surreal psyop. You had all these news outlets on the ground totally ignoring the fact that there was like a complete coup fucking attempt trying to ram trucks full of like fake aid through the border of Venezuela in an iteration of the coup. Richard Branson was simultaneously holding some live aid concert claiming that there was like millions of people there. Um, it was completely insane. There was all these people doing like a, like throwing Molotov cocktails, trying to burn the border side, burn these trucks, ram them through ISIS style. And like CNN and shit was on the ground and they were just like pretending everything was fine. It, it was really fascinating the way that that <laughs> played out. That was probably one of the weirder things that happened. Cause like no one was actually reporting how crazy that was. Well, yeah, what that Wido was- and people were trying to do. That was one of those strange moments where it seemed like the mainstream media was in complete 
sort of alignment with Trump and they were not, there was no pushback or difference in the mainstream media narrative from like what the Trump administration was trying to put out about that and trying yeah, to do. And you even had Bernie Sanders and Warren, I remember at the time saying like Maduro needs to let the aid in. And I was oh, just yeah. like, dude, this is the coup. Yeah. This is the coup. Yep. Yeah. That was Are you guys crazy. Very strange time. So let me just explain this contract really quickly because it is very, very crazy. According to Alan, and you can check out his Twitter thread that explains this more in detail, but he says, quote, the contract goes into detail about who the mercenaries were allowed to engage in kinetic strikes, i.e. assassinate and kill. It first names a number of paramilitary organizations like the Colombian FARC, which is so fucked up, and bizarrely Hezbollah, also insane. But also on the list are a number of illegitimate Venezuelan forces, which of course include essentially any armed supporter of Maduro, right? And the Constituent Assembly. So basically anyone who's not a Waido supporter, like any of Maduro's base, because it enables the killing of colectivos, which anyone who knows anything about Venezuela knows that that's essentially just a euphemism for working class Venezuelans. So the contract was giving carte blanche to kill Maduro supporters with impunity. Even crazier is what the contract said would happen after the coup, what Silver Corps could do after the coup. It stipulates that the mercenary organization would convert to a national asset unit that will act under the direction of the Waido administration to counter threats to government stability, terror threats, and work closely with other security forces. Their missions would include, but not be limited to, surveillance, covert operations, and target programming. So in other words, Silver Corps would transform into a private paramilitary death squad, answerable only to Waido crushing any opposition to his dictatorship. Isn't that fascinating that that's what they were actually trying to implement in the country? <laughs> I mean, the, I, I, yeah, it's, a, it's still a little unclear to me, though. Like, were they directly, did Guaido, like, was he counting on this? Or were they like, we're going to do this for you, Guaido, and like, as soon as we clear this shit up for you, we're, you're in, dude. Like, how much was he involved in this? I mean... I, almost I mean, feel he like- signed a contract, but he didn't pay any money yet. According to the guy who leads the mercenary group, he was like, yeah, he hadn't paid us anything, but it was understood that he would pay us once the job was done. I wonder how so that contract, could be- if they met in what? person or what, how that was actually signed, like did right. they meet? It reminds me a little bit of Ukraine in a weird way where it's like you had these opposition figures in Ukraine that were being like boosted by all these weird like US oligarchs and, you know, State Department people and stuff. And then- those are the people that end up in the government, you know, eventually. Um, right. This seems more sloppy, right. though, and just like sort of weirdly like uh, like kind of a random. <laughs> I mean, it's it's super random and super crazy. Um, but at the same time, it does seem like every single coup attempt has been kind of sloppy in general. True. You know, everything Wido has done has been really, really bad. And has not stuck and has always kind of blown up in his face. So, I mean, it, it does seem hard to believe. But then again, I mean, look who we're dealing with here. So, I don't know. I think that Wido probably just wanted to contract them and then was just hedging his bets. I mean, he's desperate at this point, right? He knows the country largely hates him. You saw that video of him getting like swarmed and almost fucking lynched. Oh, yeah at the airport when he dared to show his face. So I think that he's desperate at this point, and he definitely has a wink and a nod and green light from the Trump administration. Pompeo was asked directly, did you have anything to do with this? And he's like, we had no direct involvement. 
<laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Dude. But yeah, these guys are fucking dumb as shit, dude. They had like IDs on them, you know? And and I think there was also a social media video that they posted claiming that Operation Gideon had been successfully launched deep into the heart of Caracas and that other armed cells had been activated throughout the country. It's like, okay. It's so fucking surreal. I can't it believe it. It's so weird because we hear all this bullshit too. Like just going back to Flynn for a second. Like he's sort of hoisted up by these sort of like weird third positionist, like quasi right wing, like anti-war people who are like, no, Flynn was like trying to identify the real enemy in the war on terror and like get rid of ISIS and stop funding like Al Qaeda and all this shit. But when you think about this kind of thing, I mean, it's just, it just shows a completely different portrait of like, if you're trying to imply that Flynn and these people inside the Trump administration have like a smarter more direct mm-hmm. approach to foreign policy. They're not fucking around. They're not trying to nation build. They're not doing stupid things. And like, what is, well, how do you explain this type of shit? Like, right. No, how do you square no this, you idiots? Like, seriously. Right. It's, it's just, there's just such a weird rose colored glasses portrait of like these geniuses inside the Trump administration. <laughs> how do you explain this? You know, was it sarcastic? Yeah. Like the injecting bleach thing? Was it a joke? Was it was it it's done as a test. goof? Was it done to troll the libs? Test. Was a dollar store bay of pigs done to troll the libs? Possibly. <laughs> it definitely trolled me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just wanted to sum this up by saying how outrageous the corporate media was in covering this incident. Joshua Cho of Fair broke down in Common Dreams a really good report of just how absurd the corporate media is when they cover stuff in terms of foreign policy. And it really just shows their hand quite a bit. So AP, Vice, and other outlets just mocked the poor planning of it without explicitly condemning how like blatantly illegal it is, right? They were just like, oh, like this would have been a great idea if it was carried out by competent people, that kind of line. The Wall Street Journal actually glorified the guys saying they were trying to arrest Venezuela's authoritarian government and free political prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> the Washington Post said Venezuelan government says it stopped, quote, invasion launched from Colombia, as if, like, it wasn't an invasion, <laughs> as if it's just, like, a scare quote provided by the Maduro government. Um, and then other outlets, I thought this was funny because I recognized this when I saw the story coming out. Other outlets made it seem like just innocent Americans had been taken. Like, they didn't even say, like, what was going on. It was just, like, Americans captured by Venezuelan authorities or Venezuela detains two U.S. citizens over speedboat incursion. That was the BBC headline. (laughs) Without mentioning that these guys were, like, working for a mercenary group trying to kidnap and kill Maduro. (laughs) (laughs) But everyone used scare quotes around terrorists and mercenaries as if These people are not fucking textbook mercenaries. Like literally exactly what a mercenary is these guys were. And they all just put scare quotes around it. Like, oh, Maduro says they're mercenaries. Um, And as we know, the U.S. uses mercenaries all over the fucking world. There's some loophole in international law that bans mercenaries, but allows the use of private military security contractors. So it's just mercenaries under a different name to provide plausible deniability for war crimes and everything else. And... To drive this point home, in our Afghanistan research, we're putting out a little Afghanistan episode this month for Empire Files, but in our research, we found that 2,300 American soldiers have died in Afghanistan, 
Nearly twice that amount of U.S. mercenaries have also died there. How crazy is that? It's ridiculous. So almost double the amount of U.S. troops have died in Afghanistan, proving that this occupation is much bigger than we've been led to believe. Like, much, much bigger. Like, what the hell is really going on over there? Who are these people? Who do they work for? What are they doing? Fucking creepy, yeah. No, I mean, it's just... Man... Well, hopefully like 50 years from now, there'll be someone who's like discovered what the fuck we're up to and like what was actually going on. <laughs> it's just so opaque. And it's sometimes one of the really frustrating aspects of doing this work is that like it feels like that new realities quote by Karl Rove. It's like when we're studying yeah, right. the reality, it's like they've already created a new one. It's like it doesn't even matter sometimes. Uh, anyways. We're an empire now. When we act, you just... You just report on our actions, you know? Mm -hmm. You study our reality judiciously while we're just creating new ones. And that's how it will play out. So weird. And Trump has really thrown it for such a loop that it's like we're still catching up. I still wake up sometimes just in utter disbelief that Trump is the president and that all of this is happening. And his first term's almost over. It's like I've never been able to truly grasp how surreal reality really is. It's just like becomes so difficult to challenge anything and to coalesce behind anything. It's really weird. It's it's not like I thought it would turn out at all. <laughs> it's like broken people's brains in a really, really sad way. No, you're right. I mean, it's it's just a lot. Like I said, think I said on Twitter the other day that I feel like Russiagate, as much as I appreciate you know, a lot of the debunking and people did trying to debunk it, I just feel like a lot of the prominent people who were involved in that story kind of didn't come out from it unscathed. It's like they sort of lost some of their way. And it's it's strange how much things... It's not even that the Overton window has shifted. It's like, when did it become okay to, you know, not be worried about a president who was like so virulently right-wing if you're like a progressive? I mean, like, that's a weird thing to me. Like, just because the Democrats, you know, who aren't in power acting like super nuts, I just don't get why you wouldn't, you just like let your guard down for what Trump's all about. That still fascinates me. And that's what I don't understand. I mean, maybe it's too much to actually be worried about both sides of the equation at once for certain people. I don't know. I, I, don't <laughs> I ask it. myself that every day. <laughs> I really do. It's It's the weirdest trend, I think, happening, and it just gets weirder every day. They've never empowered Christian evangelicals to this level before. And if you were thought that was dangerous before, like now it's like crazy levels of dangerous. I mean, right. look at QAnon just by itself. Yeah, it's like it's like Mike Pence is yeah. way crazier this than Bush. This is a cult. This is a cult. And this global pandemic, I really thought that we could have like a radicalizing moment, but it just seems like people are just falling further into their feedback loops and fear-based paranoia, largely. I mean, hopefully that will change once society opens back up. Hopefully we can see something be resurrected, but it just seems like we're in a dark place. We're in a dark place right now. I agree. I mean, we're, we're, there'll be light at the end of this. I mean, for sure. It's just, I'm just hoping that we can go back to a more grounded, rational way to discuss things rather than this sort of, you know, this phoniness. It just, it feels like the dumbest point in history. It really does. In terms of like intellectual discourse and media literacy, it really feels like we are more dumbed down than ever before. Yeah. It really does. 
And what does that mean? What reflection is that about where we are as a society? I don't know. Time will tell. Yep. Um, hopefully this wasn't too depressing. We haven't mm-hmm. talked for a little bit, so it was good to just rant and rave. I wanted to also plug my art website, abbymartin.org. I've been doing a lot of cool artwork during the pandemic <laughs> that people can check out a, a piece just about COVID, which I like. You can buy prints there to support my work, or you can donate to Media Roots Radio. Um, and I provide little art packs for people who I think the $50 tier is what I've been doing. So Check that out if you have the means, support us, and you can get a little special art pack from me. Um, but if not, just check out the site, abbymartin.org. I think you'd like it. Yeah, your new the new stuff you've been putting out is awesome. Cool. And I have, uh, let's see, do I have anything coming up? Oh, yeah, I'm probably doing You have uh, all your Bandcamp shit, don't you? Yeah, I mean, Bandcamp, I, I put a new release up there. Um, so actually a really old release from 1997 that I uploaded to Bandcamp. And I also have a live stream coming up from myself a show that uh Lori and i did together it's like an ambient performance um was an oh, original cool. original footage we took in japan of like the snow monkeys what and i think i've shown it to you before years ago when is it when is it coming out i think it's the 26th they're gonna live stream it as part of like a lineup of shows so it's like a whole hour-long performance that we did but the visual of it is just this movie this short film that i put together of just scenery from Japan. So you don't see us in it, but you'll like, you know, see the visual with the music, the live music underneath it. Very cool. Post the details on the SoundCloud timeline. Yeah. I'll post it on Twitter. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. As always, if you liked what you heard on today's episode, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Media Roots Radio. If you do become a subscriber to our Patreon page, you do get access now to one exclusive episode per month. Hope you guys enjoy. Thank you. Bye.